The Sacred Changemakers podcast is supported by Coaches Business School, helping the world's most caring coaches build a purpose-driven and profitable business that makes a meaningful impact in our world. Check out their unique frameworks and methods to help you transform and grow your business. Now is the time to build a bridge from what you want in life to include what the world needs. You can do well in business and do good, and together we can make a meaningful difference. Find out more at coachesbusinessschool.com. Hey there, welcome to another episode of the Sacred Changemakers podcast. My name is Jane Morillo and I'll be your host for today. Now, today we have a really great guest lined up. His name is Steve Pipe, and he's an accountant and a really interesting guy because he's not your stereotypical accountant. Yes, he was incredibly successful by building his accountancy firm up to 40 employees, and he is a former UK Entrepreneur of the Year. So all of that sounds kind of what you'd expect, I guess. But he's now retired and now he is giving away all of his time and all of his intellectual property to help make the world a better place. And I think that's what makes Steve really different here and somebody that we can all learn from. Because in this conversation, as you're going to hear, Steve and I get into a deep conversation about the challenges that we're facing in the world, but really interestingly about you know, how business can have a more positive impact on the world. And here's the thing about this conversation that you're going to hear. Steve really is passionate about what he is doing in the world. He's really passionate about kind of changing the way we do business, reimagining our structures so that we're not only in this I, me, mine conversation, but that we are building a bridge to the we conversation, to the collective, that we're thinking about questions like, what does the world need from me now? And so this kind of bridge is exactly what we align with here at Sacred Changemakers, as you may know. And so as I was in this conversation with Steve, I could feel his passion. I could feel him talking. It wasn't just like he was like, you know, greenwashing or just talking about climate change. You get that this guy truly embodies and lives what he's most passionate about. And that in itself is really inspiring for us to listen to. Now, Steve goes on to um, share all kinds of ideas and different things that you can do in your business if you are an entrepreneur or if you are indeed working for another business, how we can actually start to have more of a positive impact on the world. And he shares all of that with us. So I think this is a really valuable conversation. And if you are a change maker that works in organizational life and, you know, you come across organizations and business leaders that are really kind of single mindedly focused on profit, then if Steve, who is an accountant, he's worked with big businesses, he knows all about the importance of profit in terms of business life. And if he can make the case for why we need to think a bit wider and a bit deeper about how we do business so that it's not just for for, uh, profit alone, but it's for purpose as well. And if he can do that, I'm sure you're going to get some insights that can help you with your clients too. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Steve Pipe. 
Hey, Steve, welcome to the Sacred Changemakers podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Now, I'm really excited to talk to you because we've got quite a bit in common. And, you know, before we kind of dive into our conversation together, I would, um, I'd love you to kind of tell us a little bit about yourself in your own words, because our readers can go to our show notes, they can read your professional bio, but I'd like to go just underneath the surface a little bit and, you know, just see whatever emerges for you. If I just ask, you know, like, tell us a little bit about you and what you're passionate about and why you're here. Where, where does one start with that kind of question? Well, the easiest thing is the factually correct thing is I'm 60 years old. My 60th birthday was, was last summer. I'm an accountant by background. I've written loads of books and a couple of TV series and won some awards and things. I have three. Uh, we've been married for 37 years. We have three adult children. Um, I used to be passionate about playing the guitar until I realized I would never actually become a rock god. Um, and so that's really fallen by the wayside, although I did buy a Fender Stratocaster in my midlife crisis years <laughs> when I could afford one. Um, I, I play tennis very, very badly. I play the blues guitar even worse in a sort of professional sense. My passion has always been about making a difference. I built a 40-person consulting business, but the, the, the focus there was on helping accountants, the industry, the profession that I understood best, become better at coaching, at guiding and advising and using their client relationships to make a difference through their clients' businesses. Uh, and now my passion continues to be around making a difference. But for me, there are things that matter even more than the profitability of a business. And that's really where my focus uh, now lies. So I'm effectively retired. I sold the consulting business to the management team, worked with it for a little while afterwards. It's still my baby. It's like, you know, you have, I've got four children, effectively, the three actual human being children and the business that, that I founded nearly 30 years ago. Um, that business is now married to someone else is how I see it. I still love it, but I'm not involved in it in any kind of way because it's got its own life. And that's wonderful, joyful position to be in, which allows me to focus on the things that really matter most to me. Now, you just kind of glossed over the fact there that you'd done a TV series and something else. And I was like, what? An accountant that's done what? Like, yeah, well, the, 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 the tip, So the BBC, who oh, well, you would know, of course, because you know, we come from the same <laughs> side of the Atlantic originally. You know, the yeah. BBC is the premier broadcaster, in my opinion, I would say that, wouldn't I, here in the UK. Yes. And they were looking to run a, a TV series called, or create a TV series called Easy Money, which was about finance for non-financial managers to show managers and entrepreneurs how to manage the money, make better financial decisions, understand their accounts and so on. And uh, they approached me and asked me if I would help develop the content. I was never going to front the program, although I have been on some other programs, but they had actually, um, uh, at the time, a, a leading comedy soap star um, fronted it but but I wrote and I structured an eight partner yeah an eight part BBC TV series called Easy Money and it was it was a great joy and my name went rolled up on the credits now put it in context this was a Sunday morning television <laughs> program not prime time Saturday <laughs> night um, right. but it was a Sunday morning produced by the education department and you know it, it was pretty well received and that got me on a few other programs where I was actually in front of the camera as well in a small way um, it was fun the weirdest, I think the, the funny, the strangest thing that ever happened, there was a, another Sunday morning program run by the same BBC education department, and they wanted to look at running a business from home. And they invited me in to talk about that as an expert in inverted commas. But they decided that, you know, the, the thing was going to be running a business from a garden shed. That was like the metaphor for home. So they brought a shed into the studio. And they thought, well, look, we're gonna, they're going to interview me outside the shed in the studio. But they thought, well, it'd be much more interesting than having regular stalls. 
to have toadstools. So they got out of their store cupboard two toadstools. They sit me on one of them. And the interviewer, who happens to be um, Cheryl Baker, who was in Bucks Fizz, you know, the British Eurovision yes. Stock Exchange. So I've got the, the former singer from Bucks Fizz sitting on a toadstool next to me outside a shed, interviewing me about starting business. It was quite surreal. <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's amazing. So um, um, you're starting to paint this picture for me that you don't fit into the normal stereotype of an accountant. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> but do you know what my strap line when I ran my accounting business, which was before the consulting business, my strap line was chartered accountant by name, not by nature. And I got hauled over the disciplinary panels um, coals for that because they said this implies shortcomings in accountants. You're not allowed to make disparaging comments and I fought the corner I said well okay you tell me any other accountant who sat on a toadstool outside the shed <laughs> on television and, and other examples of how I was different from from other accountants and and um and then we won our first business award so I actually changed the strap line to Hertfordshire's award-winning accountants and oh, that, that was okay because that was factually correct but I argued that chartered accountant by name not by nature was factually correct as well but it <laughs> did get me into into um some <laughs> some hot water so I'm sensing a little bit of rebel in you, which I really enjoy, which is just great. But one of the things you said right at the beginning when we started speaking was that you're passionate about making a difference. So what does that mean to you? Well, you know, we, we all make a difference, I, I hope, I expect. I mean, every one of us um, as part of this podcast um, is making a difference through our businesses. We're helping our clients. We're helping our customers. We're helping our team, you know, and, and the 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 change that we bring about in their businesses and lives spills out and makes the world better. It creates employment, it creates wealth, it creates opportunity and so on and so forth. That's, that's great. But I don't think that's enough. I don't think that's where the positive impact of business needs to end. I think we can fold into our business models, innovative ways of actually making the world a better place, tackling some of the the fundamental issues that we all face. And you know, because I said at the beginning, I'm a six-year-old child to I've retired effectively. You know, as you get older, you've still got many years to catch up with me on. But um, you know, as you get older, you begin to reflect more on life, you begin to reflect more on its purpose, you begin to think more about the legacy that you're going to create, and you begin to think more about what you want to do for those that you love, your kids, your family, your extended family, you know. In a sense, you know, earlier in life, you know, we need to establish ourselves, we need to pay the mortgage and pay the bills and so on but you know life brings us a the the passing of time rather brings us a a different way a different focus a different lens through which to see the world and there's a really interesting question imagine if our if our um if our towns were being bombed as sadly towns are just across in europe at the moment if our towns were being bombed and we had a choice we've got a few minutes to get out from the bombing and we can either save our loved ones or save the keys to our business go in and take the keys and take that. Which one are we going to take? And every single person, of course, says, I'm going to save my loved ones. Well, you know, it, that tells us what's most important. What's most important, ultimately, are the things that matter. You know, it's people, it's love, it's safety, it's kindness, it's, you know, it, it, it's, it's friendship. And it, it's, it's so much more than cars and phones and tangible things and money in the bank account. In the final analysis, we'd save our loved ones rather than the keys to our business. So, I, with the passing of time, you sort of begin to appreciate that we don't have to wait until we're older to do more about, to, to do more good in the world. We don't have to wait until we're retired to start making a difference and helping and giving back and, and, and being a net contributor rather than a net consumer, as it were, that we can actually fold that into our businesses right from the very beginning. Mm. 
fold it into our lives right from the very beginning. So I mean, most business leaders that I meet are lovely human beings at home, but something seems to happen when they go through the front door on their way to work. You know, some of the kindness, the caring, the consideration that they are, that they show at home with their family, friends, you know, in their personal lives, just they haven't worked out how that can flow through into their behavior at work. And so for me, one the thing that's really exciting that gets me up in the morning, sometimes ridiculously early in the morning, that's another aspect of getting older, you wake up earlier. But the thing that gets me up in the morning is, is, is helping businesses to see how they can have a more positive impact every single day. And I just decided that I'm, I've retired, I'm not going to try and sell anything or earn any money, I'm just going to give three days of my life, three days a week, rather, that is, um, half days on Monday and Tuesdays, and all days on Wednesday and Thursday, if you want to know the exact days, but I'm going to work for free as a volunteer in those times, spreading this idea, and then helping people implement the idea that we can use our businesses as a force for good. Mm. And I love that you and I have that in common. And, you know, and I, and I truly believe it's the future of business. And before we dig into that, you said something that in my work certainly is becoming something that I'm becoming more and more aware of. And I'd love to get your sense of this, which is that, you know, we already believe you and I that, you know, business can have a more positive impact on the world, you know, which is what we're talking about today. We get yeah. that. But there are an awful lot of people that don't get that. So when you were talking earlier and you said, like, you know, the issues that we're all facing, it's so obvious to you and I, the issues that we're all facing. But I notice, particularly living in the Midwest of America, that there's a huge swathe of people that don't believe what I believe. And so so what I'm realizing as I'm out in the world doing my work in this space is that unless people like are open enough to believe like the things that are going to move them into action, it just kind of becomes this thing that, okay, yeah, I have a sense of that. I've seen there's some reports from the government and the United Nations are talking about some stuff. So I have a level of awareness, but it doesn't affect me. There's nothing mm. I can do. What, what's been your journey with, with those kinds of people? And, and, and I mean, is that something that you notice too around the place? Yeah, no, no I, I get that. They are, it doesn't affect me and there's nothing I can do are two different issues. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it, we, we just come, we haven't come through, we're still in, but we just experienced two years of COVID, haven't we? Where if there yeah. was anything that proves the interdependence and the fact there's no hiding from stuff, and this is about we, not me, then it's yeah. it's COVID. At, at the beginning, it looked like a problem that was just happening in a big city that we'd never heard the name of in China, and we could kind of ignore that. And then, then it came to a few other places, and we could still ignore it, but eventually it came through our front door. It came in our office, offices, our workplaces, our families, our hospitals, our lives. It's all around. One in seven people in my country now have got it as of today, as I understand it. Now, we, we can't hide from that stuff. It is going to affect us. And at the beginning, it looked like in the case of COVID, there was, what the heck do we do about it? It takes 20 years or whatever it normally does to, to develop, um, you know, a vaccine against it. How on earth do we cope with this? And yet, when something matters, when we understand our interdependency, when we understand the fact that this, understand that this is going to affect us, um, then we galvanized, we, globally, we, we spent, I, I'm told, 13% of global income over the last two years in order to tackle COVID, because this is an issue that affects all of us, not just some of us. 
This didn't just affect poor people. It didn't just affect people of a particular color skin or people in a particular part of the world or of a particular faith. It affected all of us. And it's exactly the same with all of the other key problems we're facing, climate change most fundamentally, but let's put that to one side for now. You know, if if people go hungry in one part of the world, what do they do? They start getting in small rubber dinghies in, in the case of the UK and trying to get into the country across the English Channel, or they get in tanks and armies and try and come across um, in, in order to, to take what they haven't got. You know, if, if we allow hunger and discontent and, 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 and poverty to continue elsewhere, just like if we'd allowed COVID to continue elsewhere, those problems are going to spill out and affect us. There is no there is no immunity that we have to COVID. There's no immunity we have to climate change. There's no immunity that we have, no matter how much we think we are, because we're even on a different continent. But eventually it affects us. Eventually COVID got from one continent to the continent you're sitting in and the continent I'm sitting in. And it's exactly the same with all those other problems. So we are in this together. The second issue, though, is about, you know, how this sense of hopelessness. What can we do? What can each of us individually do? In the case of COVID, you know, we, I, I'm not a scientist. I couldn't develop a vaccine. Thank goodness there were people that dedicated their life to it. But there were still things we could do. We could stay, you know, in, in this country, you know, we were told to, to wash our hands, keep our distance and stay at home and wear masks and those kind of things. So we did what we could. It's not perfect. It wasn't perfect. We, we did. We can always do something. There is never a problem that we can't do something about. And we have to play. Each and every one of us have to play a part. It's exactly the same, I think, in business. You know, this when we see it's the classic how do you eat an elephant, isn't it? It's an impossible task to eat an elephant in one go. Of course it is. But if you break it down into tiny bites, you can do it. And it's exactly the same. Not let's not focus on. This over these overwhelmingly massive problems, climate change, COVID vaccinations. Let's break it down into what are the individual steps that we can take. And rather than run away from those steps, rather than ignore them, rather than pretending it's not our job, we'll let someone else do it. Let's each and every one of us play our part. Because if we didn't all do something to prevent COVID spreading, COVID would have spread much worse. It, you know, I could have been the most safe, safe and cautious COVID you know, worried person in the world. And if no one else did anything, and if I was the only one to wear a mask, then eventually it was going to get me. Whereas if we all do something little, like, for example, wearing a mask or whatever it is, those little things add up. Those little things make a difference. So that we're never powerless. We always have a responsibility. We can respond to everything. We did globally to COVID. We can to all of the other issues. We just need a little bit of help and guidance as to work out how. And that's really where I try to come in to help businesses see how easy it is to take those little steps. Hmm. You know, and I, I, I feel compelled to play devil's advocate for a moment and just kind of say, you know, what 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 do you say to those people that are out in the world and, and believe the opposite to you? So, you know, the conspiracy theorists, the people that think this is COVID has all been about, you know, like government control or something or trying to, you know, get us to do things that we shouldn't be doing, for example, and taking away our freedom. That's certainly yeah. been a live conversation here in America. You know, what's your sense of because there's always two sides to every coin. I get that. But I, I mean, what, what do you say to those people? Because we do live. I mean, one of the wet places that I land sometimes is I think, well, you know, I, sometimes I don't know what information to trust online. Oh, I, absolutely. No? And, and, and nowhere is that more of an issue 
than with climate change. Because neither, I'm guessing you're not a scientist and I'm certainly categorically not a scientist. I cannot... I cannot validate and research in any meaningful way. And watching a few YouTube videos doesn't count to validating it in a meaningful way. But I can take a look at what scientists are telling me, and then I can I can do something with that. So let me just let me give you my take on climate change. Yeah. And then and and because it's a great example of this, you know, there is a lot of skepticism. Okay. So this is the reality. According to scientists, according to many scientists, there is a risk. Let's not say it's a certainty. There is a risk that climate change will lead to flooding like we've never seen before, storms like we've never seen before, disruption like you've never seen before. Those things leading to damage like we've never seen before that create short water shortages like we've never seen before, drought, crop failure like we've never seen before, insect and and and, and, and mice infestation like we've never seen before, animal extinction like we've never seen before, food shortages, illness, pain, death and destruction like we've never seen before. Now, there's a risk, according to scientists, that climate change will cause those things. I'm not a scientist, so I can't actually judge that risk. I can't judge the probability. I can't say, yes, it's a 97% likelihood or a 3% likelihood. But what I can see without a shadow of a doubt is that most scientists say the probability of some or all of those things happening is very high. Mm-hmm. And that a few much more skeptical ones, often funded by people with a vested interest in not actually doing anything, but even if we take away the funding issues, a few scientists think there's a, lo- a much lower probability. But I haven't ever met or ever seen a single scientist who doesn't accept there is some risk, some percentage we can attach to climate change causing those kinds of problems. So there is a risk. I, I can't assess whether it's 5%, 50%, 95%. I can't assess that. But I can see this. What do sensible people do in the face of really damaging risk? And what do we always do in the face of damaging risk? We don't have to understand the risk. You know, I don't understand the risk of whether I'm going to get ill or not, but I've got medical insurance. I don't understand the risk of whether my, my white goods, the washing machine, is going to break down, but I took out insurance for the, for the white goods. I don't understand the risk that I'm going to, whether I'm going to have a car accident or not, but I insure my car. We insure our phones. We insure our pets. We insure our, you know, our, our possessions, our cars, our holidays, our homes, our health. We always, in the face of risk, we do two things. We insure and we mitigate, we take steps to try and avoid risk. We don't deliberately walk in front of a car, we try and stay on the sidewalk or the platform, and we insure ourselves in case we get hit by a car when we couldn't mitigate it. Whenever there's a risk, even though we don't understand, I don't understand the risk, the degree probability that my white goods are gonna break down or my phone screen is gonna crack or I'm gonna get a particular health condition, but nevertheless, like most sensible people, in the face of a risk, I insure. I don't need to understand. I don't need to be a scientist. I just need to accept that there is some kind of risk and that I don't like the implications of that risk. I sure as heck don't like water shortages, crop failures, infestation, animal extinction, food shortages, illness, pain, death and destruction. I sure as hell don't like those kind of risks. And even though I can't assess them and even though I'm not a scientist, I can make a decision, which is I'm going to ensure and I'm going to mitigate. I'm going to do what it takes to make sure that I and the people I love aren't massacred if that risk comes true so for me it's not about whether or not i accept something it's about you know the 
is there a risk? And am I just willing to bury my head in the sand and take that risk? And I'm not just taking that risk for me. This, these are if I if I don't choose to step up and do something about climate change, I'm not just taking that risk for me. I'm buggering up the lives. Excuse my language. I'm messing up the lives of my children, my grandchildren, your children, your grandchildren, everybody else we love, whether they. We know that we love them yet or not, whether they haven't yet been born or not. We will be, there is a risk that we mess it up for them. Now, I'm personally not willing to take that risk. And anybody else who ensures their phones, pets, white goods, cars, holidays, homes and health, I don't understand why it's worthwhile to ensure those things, but it's not worthwhile in the face of a potentially, potentially existential threat to ensure and mitigate against those kind of risks. So for me, it's not about, whether one side of the argument is true or not, I can't, I can't evaluate that. What I can see is risk. And in the face of risk, I can see the absolute overwhelming common sense approach of mitigating it, reducing the risk where we can and ensuring against it. And that's how I respond to these things. Mm. And thank you. I mean, you've made some excellent points there in ways that I think I've not really thought about it in that way, in that risk mitigation way. But it makes perfect sense. And it makes perfect sense just to like ordinary people in their lives. It's like this is something we're already doing on an individual level. So yeah, why not absolutely. Do it for this? Right. For sure. Why not? And 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 even even as because you know I, I completely am with you on this but I also know that there is um it's let me put it this way I don't quite know how to give voice to this but it's that I also have this deep knowing that in a capitalist economy that is looking for continuous growth of more 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 at any cost and is really worshiping at the you know the god of profit and and leaders senior teams that need to deliver to their stakeholders something like climate change something like covid something like starting to have the conversations within the boardroom of moving towards things like the united nations sustainable development goals those are not in alignment usually with a corporation's primary goal, which in the capitalist economy seems to be, like I said, more at any cost, just growth, 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 and um, you know, do whatever it takes to increase our profit year on year, month on month, week on week, day on day, however you want to look at it. And so there's a real to the power base in the boardrooms of you know our corporate organizations across the world this i what i notice is when i'm in conversation with these people it feels like a threat to what they do so what you know is that what do you say to those people that feel like well, if I'm going to do that, then I can't do this. It's almost like they see it as yeah, a I dilemma, a, an either or. And it, it absolutely isn't an either or. And that, yeah. uh, but a brilliant, a, a brilliant question. Thank you so much for that. So, firstly, let me remind, let me just re remind us where I come. I come from a background. I'm an accountant. My career, my my two degrees were in economics. My my skill set is analysis of data to help yes. people make better decisions. Okay, and hence my focus on the risk around you know the the climate change, for example, that's that's where I come in. Everything that I've been that I've spent a career around has been evidence driven, where I can understand the evidence right. and data data driven. I've written books called you know, "101 Ways to Run Your Business More Profitably," how to build a better business and make more money. I understand 
the, the, the capitalist imperative. I've been part of it, an integral part of the capitalist model for all these years. And, you know, and I think there is an enormous amount of good that comes from capitalism. I, the, the, the brilliant news is that it is a fallacy. It is a complete fallacy to think that we can either run a business with the purpose of making money or we can run a business with the purpose of making the, the world good. And these are somehow mutually exclusive or that you know, one is at the expense of the other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is an increasing, overwhelming volume of, 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 of research and evidence now. And I'll just quote one little bit of it. So last year, Deloitte, so one of the largest consulting accounting businesses in the world, one of the big four, published a report called the Purpose Premium. And what they did was they carried out research, but also reviewed other research to look at the business case for being a business for good, for being a business that was driven by purpose, where part of, you know, it wasn't just about making money, but it was about, you know, having a positive impact on the world through our business. And what they found, and they they called the report the Purpose Premium because they literally found an overwhelming business case if we were to just wear, we can be human beings or human calculators. My role as an accountant was a human calculator. My role as a dad and husband and human being is 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 a human being, sorry. So if I put on my human calculator hat, let's just look at the numbers. Let's just look at the rational case for doing something. What Deloitte found, for example, was that, Businesses that have purpose at their core, that weren't just trying to make more money, but were also trying to make more of a difference and have more impact, actually made more money. They were more productive. They they attracted and retained better quality staff, team members. They 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 grew more rapidly. They got more word of mouth advertising. They built better reputations. In fact, they summed it up, and this was a staggering finding. And if anyone wants a human calculator, rational reason for doing this stuff, they found that the net effect of all of these positive Im- impacts on the bottom line and productivity and retention and, 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 and reputation and so on was that the profit multiple, when you come to sell a business that has purpose, the, 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 the figure that the stock markets use to multiply your annual profits by you know, the PE ratio, they call it, to, to, or EBIT, EBIT data ratio. Basically, a business that has purpose, it ends up being worth four times as much money. So just think about that for a minute. The net effect of doing good is that not only do we make the world a better place and make things better for our children and grandchildren and people's children and grandchildren that we'll never meet, but we also end up building a more valuable business. Which would we rather have when we come to retire? A business worth quarter the amount of money and a sense of didn't really do anything or a business worth four times as much money and an absolute certainty of knowing that we made a positive difference. There's, it's, as, it's as clear, it's as clear and it's as black and white as that, and, as that. And yet people still fall into, well, I can't do that because it will cost me. It pays back. Yeah. The, the, the evidence is overwhelming that businesses for good do better. Yeah. It's not an either or, the two things are in tandem. So if I wear my human calculator hat and I look at the data, there is no other conclusion to draw than doing this kind of stuff will make my business in purely financial terms, purely accounting terms, purely capitalist terms more successful. And then if I wear my human being hat and say, as well as that, I end up creating something which is a po- which has a positive contribution in the world, that makes a positive impact. That means that I can get up in the morning with a smile on my face and joy in my heart and a spring in my step, knowing that 
I played my part. And that if in a few years' time, my children, you know, there's that famous poster from the First World War with the little child sitting at daddy's knee and saying to daddy, what did you do during the Great War, daddy? Yes. And, and I, I want to be able to turn <laughs> to answer that question, my grandchildren saying, well, I did everything I could. Oh, and also, by the way, that's why we're living in a nice house. And that's why we're able to enjoy the life and the, the toys and the cars and the holidays. And you get your education and I can help you get a house because I did the right thing. Because the alternative is not only do we have less successful businesses worth a quarter of the amounts of money, but our kids end up living in a world with, you know, with all of those climate issues that we talked about before, all of that pain. Yeah. It's so crystal clear to me. And yet, you know, people are so busy. I get people are busy. That's, that's why I'm now spending three days a week of my life trying to spread the facts, spread the, spread the insights, get people listening at least, in some cases hopefully maybe inspired a little, but crucially get people to do something. Yeah. And I love how there you've built a case for this from an individual perspective because, you know, we still live within the context of individual cultures here in the West. We're not used to considering and understanding and, and watching out for the collective in any way, you know, and I've worked in cultures in the East where that's much more prevalent. So this, this move, this bridge that I sometimes feel like, you know, I, I, I build with my work, which is this bridge from me to we, I think you've really made a strong case for it there. Um, and I love that you're an accountant because as an accountant, if you can speak to, you know, the leaders that are very financially and profit driven and, and make that case, that's exactly what they need to hear. It, so, it, it absolutely is. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly what they need to hear. So some of our listeners might be listening to this and, and I know, you know, and I'm not going to go into the whole greenwashing argument because I know it's alive on both sides of the Atlantic. Yeah. Um, and I've certainly experienced it a lot where people have a, or businesses, small and large have a, have a mission and a vision and a purpose but it's not something they embody and live every day. It's just like something that's stuck up, you know, behind the reception desk that inspires through their marketing and their advertising. But what we're talking about here is truly how can your business have a more positive impact on the world? So if there's somebody listening, thinking, okay, right, I get it. I want, I want to move into action. Like what, how, like, what do you teach here in this yeah, space? Well, the how do they I mean, move it, into that action? Again, it, it's, a, it's, it's a great point. And, and anybody who's been in the change space hmm. will know the general principle that I'm, I'm going to base this on. And, the, and that general principle is if we start with stuff that's really difficult, we find it too difficult, we stop, yeah. we give up, and we never proceed. So the key is to start with the easy stuff. We don't try and run a marathon by going out on day one and running <laughs> 26 miles or whatever it is. We start with a few hundred yards or whatever. We start with the easy stuff. So really, all I'm able to really help people do is start with some easy stuff and in a way that will really then build momentum, that will build belief, that will make a difference and from which we can then springboard into tackling the bigger issues. So if we, we think about, you know, climate change, for example, you know, there are some fundamental changes that we all probably are going to have to make, whether we make them by choice or whether they're forced upon us. But at some point, we're going to be uh, we're going to have to change. And so you know, there are some difficult things. We've got to reduce the carbon footprint of our production processes and of our lives and so on. Those are quite difficult and we have to do them. But they're difficult. And if we start with that, 
we try and do that this afternoon, we're going to rapidly find out that we can't do it. Whereas if we, this afternoon or over the next few hours, made a decision to do some easy stuff, we could actually start making that easy stuff happen today. And then we can build on that. So the e so my focus has always been on what I call SSTW, the simple stuff that works. Um, so again, here, and we used to have a, a software product back in the day when I was a consultant, we created a software called tool called Simple Stuff That Works. It was about the simple stuff to make your business more profitable. That's not what this is about, but it's the same principle. Let's start with the simple stuff. And the simplest, the, the, the simplest approach, in fact, I'm going to use, I'm going to, if it's okay, I'm going to use an example. Just imagine that you fancy a cup of coffee. You're out in town, you're in, in, you're in your community on a high street somewhere, and you really fancy a cup of coffee. And if you don't drink coffee, it's a cup of tea or whatever else it is that they've got in a coffee shop that you fancy. We'll call it a cup of coffee. And as, as you, you happen to notice that in front of you, there are two coffee shops. They're right there. They're next door to each other. There's one on the left and one on the right. And seemingly, they're identical. It turns out they use the same coffee beans to make the same kind of coffee. They charge the same price. There's equally nice baristas, equally nice surroundings. There's nothing to distinguish between these two coffee shops selling the coffee at selling the coffee at whatever the going price is. It would be about three pounds here in the UK, maybe five dollars in the States or whatever. It's the price. They're both charging the same price. So you could kind of randomly pick between the one on the left and the one on the right. Oh, but there is one tiny difference. The one on the left doesn't do what I'm about to say. But about to describe it, the one on the right does. See, the coffee shop on the right, when you go in there and you buy your cup of coffee or cup of tea or whatever else it is that you choose to buy, not only do you get your drink, but because you've gone in there and bought a cup of coffee, that has also provided a day's worth of clean water for someone in need somewhere around the world. And not only is it clean water, but it's water that's cleaned and provided by solar-powered reverse osmosis, which means that that water is provided with no carbon footprint as opposed to you know, using fossil fuels to desalinate or whatever. So just because you've got your drink, your one cup of coffee, a child in Africa or somewhere gets clean water. Now, I actually visited uh, Kenya before uh, COVID. I went with the charity B1G1 and... Uh, we, we went and collected water in order to help a family build a mud hut. So water is by definition downhill. It's like 40 degrees temperature. You go, you walk downhill with an empty bucket. It was only three quarters of a mile on this occasion because it had rained, but often the water's much further away. The rain had meant that a puddle had filled up. So we go to this puddle, three quarters of a mile down here with empty buckets. Then we fill up the buckets with something that actually looks like coffee. It doesn't look like water, but it is. And then we carry these heavy buckets back uphill, three quarters of a mile in the searing heat. Now we're only going to be using this brown sludge to make mud huts with, to mix it with the soil, but they would drink that. And not only would they drink that, but the job of bringing the water would often take so much, so long that the young girl, the youngest girl in the family who normally gets the task of bringing the water back because everybody else has got their other roles. She spends so much time bringing the water back that she, she misses school and the water makes them ill. So they all miss out on things. In contrast, because the coffee shop on the right, when, when you go in there and buy your cup of coffee, it unlocks a day's worth of clean water, which means that young girl doesn't have to walk three quarters of a mile or three miles, whatever it happens to be today, doesn't have to bring back water that makes a meal, doesn't have to miss school. Her whole life is changed. She goes to school, she gets an education, she lifts herself and her family up just because you bought that cup of coffee. So here's the question. You can go in the coffee shop on the left that doesn't do this, or you can go into the coffee shop on the right that does this. Now I have obviously podcasts, people can't answer this other than in their own head, but I've done this in front of 
and uh, live in front of an audience of a thousand people in in salt lake city actually and i got them to stand up if they go to the coffee shop on the right and sit down or go if where i can i get them to go onto the right or the left of the room so we get this visual representation and the overwhelming majority of people say they choose the coffee shop on the right one or two people choose the coffee shop on the left and either that's because well, they've got a particular worldview, but most commonly it's actually because they go, well, why would I go over there? Look at the queue. But that's the point. The point is the queue. The queue is the business opportunity. If we fold this and we'll see the general principles that are at work here in a second. But just just think of you have a, two ways of running your business, like the coffee shop on the left or the one on the right. The coffee shop on the left, because the way it runs its business, which, by the way, is conventional capitalism. Mm-hmm. conventional capitalism gets a handful of people buying the coffee and when i was in salt lake city that day the coffee shop on the right if we'd actually been going to buy a coffee the queue would have been round several blocks there were 997 people or whatever it was just staggering commercial opportunity mm-hmm. but of course everybody goes yeah but of course that that that's great but how much does it cost yeah. to fund a day's worth of clean water to change that child's life you know we we don't have a shed load of money to give away like that the answer is less than one half of a US cent. So the coffee shop on the right is selling a cup of coffee for maybe four or five dollars, just the same price as the one next door, and less than half a cent per cup of coffee. That means if they sell a thousand cups in a week, it's what, fifty dollars. And yet what they've got is this queue, this can you think of any other marketing strategy that would get 997 people choosing your coffee shop versus the one on the left? And not only is this great for business, this is why Deloitte's found that the businesses that do this kind of stuff end up being worth four times as much money. And the coffee shop queue is a great metaphorical way of, of illustrating that. Not only does the business get more commercially successful, I call this uh, capitalism 17.0, by the way. You know, it's the, it's the SDG approach to capitalism. It's still capitalism. We still want to sell a lot of cups of coffee and make a load of money. But along the way, we want to make the world a better place too. And capitalism 17.0 then unlocks all of this commercial opportunity and unlocks our ability to start solving global problems. In the case of the coffee shop, solving the lack of access to clean water. So simple and so beautiful. It is. And I love that you've 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 told that story, because to me, I mean, I want to go and open a coffee shop now. (laughs) (laughs) Mind <laughs> anything else? It was that compelling, but of course, I already have my version of a coffee shop, as do you. And I think it's time for you to talk about B1G1 because that's what we both have in common, and it makes it so easy for business owners to implement a strategy like this. Yeah, absolutely, it does. And in fact, I know coffee shops that do exactly what we're just talking about using the, <laughs> the B1G1 tools. If if we just take the two, I think there are two really big general principles from the coffee shop example. And then I'll, then we can talk about how yeah. B1G1 tools allow us, make it so easy to apply those, those general principles. Principle number one is this. Just imagine if in our business, every time something good happened in our business, like selling a cup of coffee or winning a new customer or sending out an invoice or getting paid on time or getting a testimonial or a referral, something that we decide is good. Just imagine if that good thing unlocked an act of kindness in the world that made something better. So for example, just imagine in the coffee shop's case, every time they sell a cup of coffee, child gets access to water. Maybe in your coaching or consulting business, every time you win a client, maybe a tree's planted. Every time you meet a client or run a consulting session, maybe 
a street dog is vaccinated against rabies. Every time you send out an invoice, maybe a child is fed. Every time an invoice is paid on time, maybe a homeless person gets fed or gets a roof over their head for a, a night. Just imagine this connection that every time something good happens, it triggers, it unlocks an act of kindness. That act of kindness might be helping children in Ukraine, or it might be planting trees, or in some other way tackling climate change, or helping solve the homeless problem or poverty or inequality. Just imagine if we made that connection and a tiny fraction, a tiny fraction of the good things that happen to us, we allow to spill out and work into the world. So the tiny fraction of the $5 that the coffee shop on the right sells its coffee for, in their case, the tiny fraction is less than one cent. They choose to give to make the world a better place. But the point is they've linked the success of their business with progress in the world. So that as their business becomes more successful, our world becomes better too. That's the linkage. That's the mindset. And to me, that's beautiful. But there is a, there is a, you talk about skepticism and you did, you did sort of, we talked about skepticism before. People are naturally skeptical. I bet some people's response to my story about the coffee shop is, yeah, but how do we know the coffee shop on the right actually does that? You know, so it could be just greenwashing, couldn't it? As you said. Yeah. Well, and here's the second general principle. The thing that I didn't tell you that the coffee shop on the right does is the coffee shop on the right not only says that when you come in and buy your coffee, we provide um, clean water to children in Africa or whatever, but they also have an impact statement. They have live real-time data on their website, independent, verified, third-party data, in fact, from the charity B1G1. So I'll answer the question about how that works in a second, but which showcases and which keeps the score of how many days of water they've given and how many days of other help and how many trees have been planted and so on. So B1G1 works brilliantly because it allows me and allows us, allows uh, you, Jane, and anybody else that wants to do this, to link the good things in our business with good things in the world, number one. And secondly, it makes it, it is, B1G1 is like Amazon for kindness. There's a big online shop where we can unlock acts of kindness for you know, tiny fractions of a penny in, in, in many cases. But we can link them together. So, for example, our account system can automatically say, okay, when we set up a new um a new customer or a new client in our QuickBooks online system, for example, that automatically triggers the planting of a tree if that's the trigger that we've chosen. Or automatically triggers you know, vaccinating a street dog or automatically triggers feeding a homeless or automatically triggers providing clean water or whatever we choose. We're in complete control, but B1G and then just makes that happen. And secondly, because we end up funding a tree or a day's worth of water or a, a vaccination of a street dog, B1G1 also does the second thing. It keeps the score. It doesn't keep the score. It does keep the score of how many dollars we've, we've given, but that's in the background. Publicly, B1G1 gives us the scorecarding tool so that we can show to the world the number of trees planted, the number of days help provided in, in on all sorts of really highly visual <coughs> ways. And you know, B1G1 is a charity. It's a B Corp. It's got... Um, Paul Pullman is one of its advisors. Paul was one of the, the, was the CEO of Unilever, one of the largest businesses in the world and, and one of the, the, the founding fathers, the architects of the, the UN Global Goals, the SDGs. He's got, they've got Yves Dacord on their board. He was the former director general of uh, the International Red Cross. This is you know, incredibly legitimate, incredibly powerful, incredibly easy set of tools that allow us to link through our businesses so that our success is coupled to success in the world. So that as we become more and more and more successful in our business, so as capitalism works, the world works better too. That's just beautiful. And it's so easy. And in fact, it can be completely automated. And we could start with that this afternoon today if we use B1G1.
And I, I've had, since I've been with B1G1, it's only been a couple of years, but I have noticed in myself my own kind of sense of joy and fulfillment in the work that I do. Just, I mean, it's exponential compared to what it was before. And don't get me wrong, I was happy before and I, I thought I was doing good work in the world. But now it's got a different texture to it in yeah. that I really feel I'm part of the solution in a way that potentially wasn't quite as visible to me I think before you know and for those of us that work in change we know that you know if we don't look back if we don't look at the progress that we're making if it's not visible to us we'll actually not acknowledge that to ourselves so we never actually get to actually celebrate some of the positive impact we're making but B1G1 makes that so like easy and I've got clients that are continuously emailing me asking me like what have we done this month <laughs> mm. like like can you break it down for us Jane and, and they're so motivated to the extent that I've, I'm getting requests now just to run uh like master classes or events that would 100% of the profits would go because I've done a few of them and they've been incredibly popular and yet the ongoing effects for that for my business have been immense really again isn't it yeah it totally is so that's been like I can completely like you know really back up everything that you've said because that has been my own individual experience with it in ways that I never thought like my favorite part of any I've not delegated my b1g1 giving to a member of staff because it's my favorite thing to do <laughs> every uh, month is to go uh, in well, and do it <laughs> let me let me give you a let me give you a top tip though I mean, it's my favorite part as well I loved it so much that I now do it daily. I've, I've, oh, I've just because I, I no longer, I no longer have a business in any meaningful sense. I don't sell yeah. anything. I mean, I would love to help anybody who's listening to this podcast take these ideas yeah. and embed them in their business. And that's my gift to you. I will, I will spend the time. We'll jump on a Zoom call. I'll give you everything I've created, everything around it. So I don't sell anything anymore. I don't have a business in a conventional sense. But if we take that general principle, you know, when good things happen in the business, we make good things happen in the world. That's the sort of the linkage. I've just I've just broadened that out. I've said, okay, what's what I don't just have to celebrate good things in the business. I can celebrate good things in my life. What's the ultimate good thing in my life? When you get to 60, you start to realize the ultimate good thing in my life is another day of health, love, mm -hmm. happiness, and and and, and yes. the security that we enjoy. So every single day I celebrate another day of health, happiness, and so on by supporting 17 projects around the world. I plant a fruit tree, I plant a forest tree, I help the homeless, I help animals, and so on and so forth. There are 17 projects. Now, I do that every single morning. It's on my to-do list for every day. It takes me less than two minutes. But the joy that it gives me, the reconnection of giving daily, a, a, a typical day's giving is $6.41. That's like about the price of a cup of coffee during COVID. I've not been going to coffee shops, mostly been staying at home, so save that money easily. Um, point is, it doesn't have to be 17 things, it doesn't have to be $6.41 a day. It could be one cent a day, couldn't it? But the point yeah. is, it really roots me and connects me with what's most important. What's most important in my life is health and happiness and the love of the people that I love and being able to enjoy that with them. And then to celebrate and, and, and be thankful for that. And I'm not a spiritual person. This doesn't come from a, a place of religiosity, although it could well do, couldn't it? But it doesn't mm -hmm. in my personal case. But, you know, I want to, 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 to be thankful for my good fortune. I don't live in a war zone. My house is not being bombed. I'm not going to make the choice between my children's safety and the keys to the business, fortunately. Um, 
But what I have made a choice is that every single day I'm alive, some good things are going to happen. And I want to be connected to that. And I want to feel that. So I do that every single day. And I, I, it's, it's given me, you know, a purpose beyond belief. So inspiring. It really is. And I think I'm going to try that myself now because I usually do it once a month and occasionally biweekly. So I'm definitely going to do that because it definitely is like a for me, I I am a little bit more spiritual, not particularly religious. But for me, it's like a shot to my soul. It's like, Yeah. yeah, it really fires me up for the day. So I just love it. So thank you for sharing that. Um. I I want to ask you, like, like, it's really clear. I can hear that, like, when you speak, Steve, I don't just, like, hear the words that you're saying. I actually feel your passion beneath the words. And so I'd just like to ask you, you know, what, it's clear what matters most to you, but I'd love to get a sense of what is this in service of? So in other words, what's your vision for a better world? What are you doing all this for, if you like? Well, I think we all have a responsibility and, and, and that, that word is multifaceted. We all have a, an ability to respond rather than just say there's nothing I can do. We have that ability to respond. We have the ability to do something. And I think both from a humanitarian perspective, from a commercial perspective, just from a sense of what's right. You know, I, the, the other question I sometimes ask people is you know you could probably make more money from crime and prostitution if you really wanted to but why don't you why aren't you doing that and the answer is you know for sure because we know it's wrong and also there's some risk attached to it probably you know (laughs) but it's wrong and it's risky you know there's and and again that that focuses on the most important thing is to do the right thing and to and to avoid stupid risks and you know i see so many opportunities being missed by businesses and by human beings to to do the right thing and 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 not take stupid and and accidentally to take stupid risks as a result that you know i have a bit of a voice i have a bit of an audience have a bit of a um, you know a, a record and, and reputation which allows me to 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 spread this kind of word you would have invited me on this show if i didn't have something to say that was hopefully worth listening to so i just you know what am I going to do with the rest of my life? I could, I could count the money. I could spend the money. I could go and play golf. I could work in a charity shop, which is a wonderful thing to do. But I just decided that actually I can make more of a difference if instead of, and I don't enjoy golf, I could walk to three golf courses from my house, but why would I bother? It's an awful game. Um, but I could work in a charity shop, but actually I think I can make more of a difference in this kind of way. And I, I've set a goal, and I'm an accountant. I've got this big goal. My goal is to help unlock 100 million days of help. And here's another extraordinary thing. B1G1 allows me not only just to set the goal, but to measure the pro- my progress towards that goal. So directly through my business operations over the last 12 years, we've been un- able to unlock six, just in excess of 6.1 million days of help to people and, and, and organizations in need around the world. But our goal is actually 100 million. And that goal is not for me to achieve in isolation. But as I mentioned before, what gets me up in the morning, my, my vision is a world of businesses that are doing the kind of stuff we've talked about. And my small contribution to that is to act as the, the to, to like the spark, I suppose, and to give people, help people take those first few simple stuff that works steps. So what gets me up in the morning is knowing that I've got some insight that I can share. I can do that with a degree of passion and energy, and I can make more of a difference by doing that than working in a charity shop. I want to be able to look back on my life and say that it mattered, that that I did what I could. I don't want my 
children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren to figuratively turn to me and say, what did you do during the Great War? We're not in a war, although we are actually in one just across the, 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 the English Channel, aren't we? But, but it's not about wars, probably not the right language. We are facing times of enormous challenge. What did you do in the face of those challenges? Well, this is what I've chosen to do, and it, it fills me with, with purpose beyond belief. The, the UN did an awesome job back in 2015 of, of really codifying through the UN the 17 uh, Global Goals, or SDGs, as they're known interchangeably. I know you know this, but you know they codified all the key challenges facing humanity, facing the planet, facing us all collectively, whether we like it or not, whether we understand it or not, they codified these challenges, and it's... The challenges of poverty and hunger and inequality and lack of access to good education and clean water and so on, injustice, environmental degradation, climate change, they codify those. That, that gives me a framework. I'm sitting here wearing a, a badge, an SDG badge. If you could see behind me, um, I have the SDGs on my wall. I have them in front of me. These drive everything. For me, if we can play our part by linking in simple ways like the way we've looked at here, linking every day of life to unlocking some good things, every cup of coffee we sell in our business, whatever our business does, our equivalent of coffee to unlocking good things in the world, then lots and lots of millions of businesses doing that thousands of times a year will start creating billions of impacts, start making the world better in billions of small ways. And that's how we, that's how we eat the elephant, isn't it? One tiny, bite at a time we don't we don't eat the elephant by ignoring it we don't eat the elephant by saying oh someone else will do it we eat the elephant by each of us doing what we can one tiny step at a time and there was a brilliant quote uh, just really struck me there's a quote in the um when on tuesday this week the ipcc published its latest report which basically says if we don't tackle, start really seriously tackling climate change now, this year, this month, this starting today, the cost of tackling it in the future is going to be exponentially greater and the pain that we're going to suffer is going to be exponentially greater too. And the Director General of the uh, United Nations said something like, and I paraphrase effectively, our leaders and our businesses are lying. And the lie is we will do this, but we'll do it tomorrow. Tomorrow is too late. That lie is catastrophic. We've been lying like that for the last 30 years. We actually have to now take a stand and do something starting today because the lie is catastrophic. Often it's an accidental lie. You know, we accidentally lie. We genuinely think we'll do this tomorrow, but tomorrow never comes. We actually have to do it today because if we don't do it today, it is flipping too late. Wow. I think that was your proverbial mic drop, Steve. <laughs> thank you, my friend. Um, gosh, thank you, Steve. I have really enjoyed our conversation today. And I know our listeners will feel so inspired from listening to you and have learned so much from you. So let's hope they move into action. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Well, everyone, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for listening in. Before we go, I want to remind you that all the resources and links for our guests are in the show notes at sacredchangemakers.com. A big thank you to our sponsors, Coaches Business School, who are helping us make a global impact aligned with the UN Sustainable Development Goals, all visible on our website, just like Steve talked about. And if you're a coach wanting to grow your impact, you will need to understand how to build a business that works today. Check out Coaches Business School to transform your business with purpose 
purpose-driven profits. It's time to build a bridge from what you want in life to include what the world needs from you. Together, we can make a meaningful difference. Again, you can find us at sacredchangemakers.com and our sponsors at coachesbusinessschool.com. And if our episode resonated with you today, I hope you'll consider joining us. So for now, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your intention and efforts to make our world a better place. Until next time, lots of love.